Henry. And uh, we didn't really expound on the last part. So this morning I'm going to go backwards just a little bit. We're going to start in Acts chapter 3, verse 17. If you need a Bible, we have some up front. We have some in the back. Um, if you flip your hand in the air, I think one of our guys would love to put one in your hand. If you don't own one, then this one is for you to keep. So there you go. Okay, so the reason why, of course, I want you to have the Bible in your hand is you need to check. You need to check and make sure what this guy is saying is what the God of the universe is speaking in his word, um, so that you don't take my word for it. So what I want to do as we start is I want to get us some context, because there are there may be some folks who have not been here through our whole teaching time through the book of Acts, um, uh, some who maybe had to miss a week here or a week there. And so um, at this church, we believe that the exposition of the Word of God needs to be chapter by chapter, uh, verse by verse, um, book by book. Um, and the reason for that is I think that Paul's admonition that we give the entire counsel of God, that there's only one way to give the entire counsel of God, and that is to give the entire counsel of God as it's written. And that if we jump in in the middle somewhere, we kind of lose the fullness of the context of what is going on. And so um, I want to give just a little background context to the book of Acts, uh, where we've been, where we started and where we're at today, so that what today's word will make a lot more sense to us if we do that. So bear with me just for a moment. So as we are in the, in the beginning of the book of Acts, we see in Acts 1, verse 3, that uh, Jesus has presented himself to the disciples by many infallible proofs, would be the King James, or New King James would say, by many infallible proofs. Jesus showed himself, speaking about the kingdom of God. By many infallible proofs, he showed himself to be, in reality, who he claimed to be. Right? So, then, Jesus ascends to heaven, Jesus commands the disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. The Holy Spirit then speaks through the apostles and the disciples so that every tongue hears the mighty works of God. Then the mighty work of God is summed up in Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. God then raises up Peter to lead. Peter proclaims the gospel, the full gospel, about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. In doing so, 3,000 souls are saved. Then the church is born. And the church continues, after it's born, to be in the Word, to be in fellowship, to be in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. And this church and her activity are a witness to the gospel truth just in their own actions. And this church begins as these discipled Christ followers carry out the Great Commission to go. And as they go, they administer justice and mercy along the way. And as we saw last week, the gospel proclamation then flows from the church's faith already in action. So that updates us as to where we've started and kind of where we're at in a very cursory overview kind of outline of this is where we've been and here's where we're about to start. So let's look at Acts chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 17 and I'm going to read through um, chapter 4 verse 12. And now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, 
and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. That many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is no salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given by men by which we must be saved. So again, here is the update of the context of the story as we went through it last week in chapter 3. Is that Peter and John, they give a lame man what he needed. They give a lame man what he needed. He may have wanted some provision. He may have wanted a place to sleep. He may have wanted food. He may have wanted money. But they gave him the reality of what it was that he needed. And it was the only thing of which they had to give. The only thing they had to give was Jesus himself. And we think of Jesus and we think of the gospel as it's proclaimed by these guys and as it is proclaimed in my own heart and in my own life is, I heard this said to me once by a pastor in Mittenville, John Marr. He talked about this idea that the gem of God against the backdrop of the darkness of my heart and my life. The gem is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is all they had to give, was this gem. That's all they had to give. It's everything. They had everything to give. They had everything. They had the gem of the reality of life, is that the gem of all that we are is summed up in the gospel of Jesus. So this is what they had to give. And now the people around them are astounded by what they see. And Peter proclaims then that the faith in Christ is what made this man whole. That faith in Christ, that's what made the man whole. And therefore, then he proclaimed the reality of the gospel to this man. And by faith, this man was made whole. Whole physically, but more importantly, whole spiritually. More importantly, transformed from death unto life. That was the reality of what was going on there. And 
I titled the message earlier in the week about in his presence. But I would say that really it's about the reality of the presence of Christ. That is not just a story. I'm not telling you just a story. I'm not just reading words from a page. I'm telling you that indeed, Jesus Christ is reality. He is real. He's a real person who lived at a real time in a real place. And he is really ascended into heaven. He is really all that we need. He really is the gem of all, above all creation, that Jesus Christ is the gem, the thing that we need the most. I was reading a story this week about reality, About, about focusing ourselves in on reality. So a former NBA center and coach, Johnny Kerr, he coached the Chicago Bulls when they were expanding. And his biggest player on the team, you can imagine that, in this time, in our time now, if the biggest player was six foot eight, that team would be in trouble. Right? But even then, his biggest player was six foot eight. They lost seven games in a row. And so he decided, he gathered his guys together and he thought, I need to give these guys a psychological pep talk uh, before they play then a very talented Celtic team. So he had to gather those guys together. So he says, he told Bob Boozer to go out and pretend that he was the best scorer in basketball. He told Jerry Sloan to pretend that he was the best defensive guard in the NBA. He told Guy Rogers to pretend that he could run an offense better than any other guard. And he told his big guy, Erwin Mueller, to pretend that he was the best rebounding, shot-blocking, scoring center in the game. Well, he says we lost the game by 17. And he was pacing around the locker room afterwards, and he was trying to figure out what to say to the guys when Erwin Mueller walked up to him, put his arm around him, and said, Don't worry about it, coach. Just pretend we won. (laughs) Well, you see, pretending that reality uh, isn't there does not make reality any less real, does it? It doesn't make it any less real. And uh, so... This idea of pretending we just want or pretending that we need something else other than who God is for us, pretending that we need something other than the gospel is really sort of silly, isn't it? Especially when you think about it in the context of, of that story. And so when I was reading through this text this week, I got this idea that, that what the disciples were presenting was a reality check. What you need, he would say, is a reality check. You need a reality check. And I thought about this for my own life, and sometimes I need a serious reality check. I need God to check my reality. And so I went off to a, a, a little prayer summit this week and prayed for three days, and I sat there and I thought that I had, I thought that I had a good prayer life. I really did. I thought that um, it's pretty consistent and pretty constant. And when I sat down and prayed on Tuesday afternoon, I realized that my prayer life is absolutely weak. The reality was that my prayer life is super, super superficial and super weak. And I pray for good things. I'm not saying that they aren't good things that I've been praying about. I pray for you. I pray for um, my family. I pray for the people in the church. I pray for gospel proclamation. Those are all really good things. But what I found out is in reality what I needed was to be a humble man who sat before a holy and awesome God and understood that in all things that this God is madly and passionately in love with me and that this God sent his son 
for me. And then I left as I was praying and going, that is how my prayer should begin. That is how all of these prayers ought to begin, is the reality of God's love toward me ought to be the very first thought in my mind as I go to seek him and to seek relationship with him. And that the reality, too, of this prayer was that the gospel of Jesus Christ has given me everything. I thought about relationships, and the gospel of Jesus has made me in right relationship with my Father. But not only that, I have a relationship with a beautiful and wonderful, caring wife. And as I was getting ready to take communion that afternoon, I, I got tears in my eyes and I had to call her. And I called her up and I said, you know, I've appropriated the gospel for me and my relationship with Jesus, but I've never said this to you, and I'm going to say it to you now, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ made my relationship with you possible. It made my relationship with my children possible. If it wasn't for the gospel of Jesus Christ, I would be so self-centered and focused on me that I wouldn't have the glorious relationship that God has given me. And so I was thankful for that, for that reality check. So, as we look back at this, there's a backdrop here of the reality of human depravity. So we're going to see in this text that there's a reality. The backdrop is that this, that how can we know good news, possibly know what good news is, unless we know the reality of bad news? Do we see the gem of the gospel by itself? We don't see it unless we see it against the backdrop of human depravity, the backdrop of our own personal wretchedness. When we see the backdrop of our wretchedness, though, we, we don't need to live in that. But we do need to see it. We do need to see the reality of it. It is what makes amazing grace amazing. It is. It's what makes amazing grace amazing. Is that I know my heart. I know who I am. I know who I am absent of him. And yet, as I said, when I sit and pray and realize that the God of the universe is madly and passionately in love with me, he knows all of that depravity that is within me. And yet he loves me still. That makes the grace even that much more amazing in my heart. That's what makes amazing grace amazing. So, let's look at verse 17 here. He says, And now, brothers, of chapter 3, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But will God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that this Christ would suffer? He thus fulfilled. See, what he's saying here is that you believed as you were taught. You were believed as you, as you were taught. You see... That, that these who were looking in awe at what had happened to this lame man, that the wholeness that God made him by faith as God made him whole, it was, it was awe to them, it was odd, it was off, it was different, because they had been taught that wholeness came through adherence to the law. And he was saying, no, here is reality, brothers, but you acted in ignorance as did those who taught you. Meaning that you ignored the truth of reality. That, that it was there for you always. The reality of Christ was there for you always. The reality of, of anything that we obtain in relationship to God is taken and given. It's by faith. It is by faith that we're saved. It's by faith that we are restored um, to Christ. He says, this reality was ignored. 
ignorance, ignore it. You ignored it. It was there. You couldn't see it. Your eyes were blind. You needed the power of the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to see the reality as it really, really, really is. So, you believed as you were taught. And in reality, Christ fulfilled all the things that you were taught, he says in verse 18. In reality, Christ fulfilled all of this. You were taught all of these things, and they were good things, right? They were good things about the laws of God, about who God is, about the nature of God, about the attributes of God, and, and His holiness, and how He must be set apart, and that these laws are set to show you this. But, he says, the reality of it was that Christ fulfilled all of those things. That's the reality that we need to be stepping in, he would say to those guys. Now, we look at 19 through uh, 21. I want to see something here. Is He tells them, repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. You see here, he says, there's a reality that right now you can be in the presence of God. There's a reality that is present. He says here, he says, repent, turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord currently. In your present reality, times of refreshing, the reality of Christ is that he will come and be in your life presently. Then, if we look at this, we say that, he says, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. That in the past he has sent the Christ. He did send the Christ for them. He did send the Christ for them in the past. And then, in 21, he says, Whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of the prophets long ago, is that Jesus must be in the presence of God because, here's this, that there's an appointed time in the future when the reality of Christ will be present in your life. The reality is that Christ was present in your life in the past. He is present in your presence, and he will be present in the future. I know that Doug talks about this on um, our study in Revelation on Wednesday nights. He talks about the fact that the infinite God, who participates in all points on the timeline, right? But for us, what is the most important moment in your life? right now. Because the infinite God meets with our finite selves right now. Right? That is the reality of the presence of Christ. And he would tell these guys that you need the reality of the presence of Jesus Christ in your life and that he always was. And that this was appointed for you. That Christ was appointed for you. And there's an appointment yet to be made. Right? But he's appointed for you presently. He was appointed in the past. And yet, there's another appointment. You have another appointment in the future. Understand that reality. Live in the reality of that. Verse 22. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Think about verse 23. Is that not meant to be a reality check? Here's the reality. The reality is that you hear the word of God, you hear it spoken, you hear the proclamation about who Jesus is. Now, 
Should you reject it, there's a reality. There's another reality. Should you reject it to be destroyed from all the people? It's again the backdrop. The backdrop of the gem of who Christ is for them. But you've got to see the reality of our depravity to see the goodness of God's grace and how amazing that is for us in the future. 24. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You see, it was a it was a past reality. It's a present reality, and it is yet to be a future reality. Verse 25, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. You see that verse 25 is a reiteration of the appointed time. It's a reiteration, a reiteration of the past appointment that God was sent to you first, he says. God was sent to you first. And then verse 26 says, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. You see, he sent him first in the past, but he's sending him first to you now. That, that the gospel went and was proclaimed in the center of Christianity was in Jerusalem. It's not in Rome. It was not in Rome. It was never in Rome. The, the center, the beginning, the epicenter of Christianity was in Jerusalem. It was in Jerusalem because we might see that Romans 1, 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You see, he says this, It was given to you first. And, as we remember from our text last week, that um, it was rejected. The truth was rejected, was it not? He, he reminds them in, in verse 13 of chapter 3, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over. Right? So he wants to remind them that you need a reality check. This Jesus, who you've ignored, this Jesus, who you denied, you denied before. You denied in the presence of Pilate. I couldn't help but think when I was um, reading that verse about being in the presence of Pilate, what was it that Pilate said? To Jesus, and Jesus said to him about the truth. And Pilate says, "What is the truth?" But he didn't stay around to listen to Christ tell him what the truth is, because he wanted to reject the reality of Christ. I, I know, oftentimes, when I've done that, you ask somebody a question you really don't want the answer to, you just ask the question and move on. Right? You're just saying it. You don't really want to know the answer. You just ask it because it's probably the appropriate thing to ask. You know, what is the truth? Well, I don't believe the truth and I don't want to hear the truth. I can't handle the truth. Right? So I'm going to move on and do my own thing. Well, that's kind of what's going on there. So remember we talked about that there's a cycle. There's a cycle in the book of Acts where the, um, the gospel, that the Christian leaders, they emerge and they preach the gospel, as did Peter. Listeners hear the word of God and they are added to the church. And then point three comes is this, that opposition comes. Persecution comes. He wants us to be aware, and I think we all ought to be aware, that this is the present reality, that we are opposed to it. If we look here at chapter four, he wants to see that the leader arose, the church Numbers were added to the church. People were added. By the power of God, 
by the proclamation of the full gospel, people were added to the church. And then, in rejection, here's what happens. Chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Christ the resurrection from the dead. You see here in verse 2 that they were proclaiming that the resurrection from the dead is a reality. And that this Jesus that they knew, this Jesus that they indeed persecuted and sent to death, this Jesus, the person they knew, they, they watched his life, they watched him live it out, they watched him preach. They said, they were, t- they were giving them, in that moment, a reality check. Is that they might deny resurrection altogether. He says, but in reality, resurrection is found in Jesus. This, of course, made him mad. They didn't want to see the present reality. They, they wanted to ignore it. They were just like Pilate, said, what is the truth, and walk away. I don't want to know this. I can't hear it. Well, verse 3, they, were, they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Verse 4, but many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. You see, they opposed this being speaking, spoken of as a reality. They... In verse 16 of chapter 3, he said, And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and you know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. You see, he says, we are opposed to that reality. We are opposed to this idea that I have the answers, and I have the law, and I have rules, and I have these guidelines. I have my religion, and my religion tells me that I am made whole by adhering to these things. And you tell me that it's by faith, it's by faith in Christ, it means that I must maybe do some work in my heart, that I maybe can't fake it. I can't fake following the rules. Because we can follow the rules and be far away from God, can't we? We can follow all of the guidelines and just totally miss who Christ is, the reality of Him, the reality of the work that He wants to do in our lives and in our spirit, the reality of what faith can do for us. Well, so they're opposed to the resurrection, they're they're opposed to being spoken of as reality. And you see here that there's a cycle, though, too. We said that opposition comes, but there's also... The next thing that comes in this is that God intervenes. Opposition comes and God intervenes. Because if we look at 4, verse 4, but many of those who heard the word believed. Point 2. Point 2 says, right, leaders are raised up. Listeners hear the word of God and are converted. Listeners heard the word of God and were converted. And then persecution came, these guys are arrested, and then, guess what? God intervenes and saves 5,000 men. So, we look forward here, verse 5. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, 
by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man is standing before you well. You see, he wants to reiterate the reality that, one, Christ is a real person. Do you see what he says here when he claims that this faith was in Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified? What he wanted to show them is that this Christ that we put our faith in, this resurrection, life that comes in Jesus, was a real person, Jesus, who lived in a real place in Nazareth at a real time. The one you hung on the cross, that guy, it was in a real place at a real time. A present reality. In reality, this Jesus is real. And he came from a real place. And he lived at a real time. And we can notice this, that the full gospel is presented again. He said, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. These first two realities would have been known to them. Right? They would have known Jesus from Nazareth. They would have known the Jesus that was crucified. The evidence of the third reality of the gospel. The, the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That one is the one that is received by faith. The evidence. Except, except that as I look back at verse 19, he says that repent, right? And your sins will be blotted out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That is a present reality. That is a reality that I have in my life that you can't, you can't object to. And that this idea that, that what is real is actually evident. There's evidence, right? There is evidence of the reality of Christ. There's evidence of the reality of the resurrection. I know many of you in her here, I know what your lives are like. I know the fruit that comes from your um, abiding in who Christ is. I watch it. I look and watch and I see it. And I say, that is evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. That's evidence. It's seen and known to me. It is practical evidence that in reality, Christ is who he says he is. Some people I've known from before their, their time. I said, that man is not the man he was. That man has received the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he received it by faith. I can't help but think of Hebrews 11. Verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, for the conviction of things not seen. For by it, people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made out of things that are invisible. The assurance of things hoped for. The King James says that it is the evidence of things not seen. Evidence. What do you need evidence for when you go to the courtroom? Evidence shows you what is real. Shows you the reality of what is going on. Because what does a jury want to do except find out what has really happened? What really happened? So the prosecutor presents evidence. Right? Well here, that is what faith is. Faith is evidence of who Christ is. Faith is evidence of the resurrection. And it is a real thing. It's just as real... It's just as real as any material item you might see. You look around the room and you're seated in a chair and you know the reality of the cushion. 
The cushion is real. I can feel it. It's up against me. I know that that is real. But is love a thing that you can grab a hold of, that you can touch, that you can shape, that you can measure with a with, an, with a, a measuring stick that you can weigh? It isn't. But every one of you in here knows evidence of love, do you not? You know by evidence that love is actually a thing. It's actually a real, tangible thing. It's immaterial, but yet I know it. And yet I have experienced, and yet there is evidence of it. The same thing with hope and faith. Every one of you in here has had a hope and has hope. Those of you who are in Christ have the greatest hope. But that hope is, is a real thing. It's as real as the cushion that we sit in. It's as real as the floor we're standing on. It is a real thing. And that God in reality is both material and immaterial at the same time, right? He is reality. He is reality. Things exist because they exist. They come out from Him. Faith comes from Him. Hope comes from Him. Love comes from Him. Love, hope, faith, all of those things that come from the attributes of God that He possesses them. You see, in verse 11 here, he says, This is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. What he wants to do here is establish this reality again. In reality, you wanted to build your life around the rules, around the sacrifices, around all of those things. And you built it up. And this house was bound to fall. This, bound, this house was bound to fall because you couldn't live up to your own standard. You couldn't live up to those things. You couldn't live up to God's perfect and holy and righteous standard. And guess what? This Jesus, he came to be the cornerstone upon which all of this should have been built in the first place. This Christ came, and yet you rejected him. You need a reality check. You need to understand the reality that the law was just a shadow of Christ. That Christ was the real foundation. That Christ was appointed you then. He was appointed in the past. And his future culmination is that he is to be received by faith. That this Christ, this shadow, this real foundation, it was presented to you in the past. And here's what he wanted to get across to them all together. Is that the same presentation that was made to you in the past is being made to you presently. The same thing. The same Christ, this appointment that God had, he was appointed to you in the past and you rejected him. But God didn't reject you. That God was gracious and patient and long-suffering and kind. And guess what? You get another appointment. You get amazing grace. You get an appointment today that God has appointed for you right now. God has appointed for you right now to be received by faith. And verse 12, he says, And there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He wants them to understand the reality that you're not going to build anything. You're not going to build any sort of faithful life. You're not going to come into a greater relationship with God by following a set of rules and guidelines that you have made up for yourself. He says this, that it was always about grace, it was always about grace. It was God's grace that appointed him to you in the first place, and yet you rejected him. It's God's grace that is meeting you right now in this appointed time. 
And we don't know how long we have. Could this be our last appointment? Could today be the last appointed time for us, for one of us, that this is the time that God is here to meet with you, that you have an appointment with Christ right now, and this is an appointed time for you, that you receive Him by faith. And there's no other way. There's no other name by which we must be saved. There's no other way in which we can go from death to life. There's no other way that we can go from being separated from God in relationship to being restored. And it's by faith in His name. And it is, it is to be received by you today. Remember he said that in the prophets in chapter 3, he said that, and it shall be that every soul who doesn't listen to this prophet, who does not listen to Christ, shall be destroyed from the earth. Shall be destroyed, removed. We don't know when Christ is coming back. Today could be the day. Today could be the day. We also don't know some other things. We don't know if we're going to make it across the street. We don't know that. I say, don't die today. Don't die today unless, unless today you receive this present reality that Christ, it's appointed for you. And I, I think that right now in this room that somebody, there's somebody who has an appointment with Jesus today. That this is the appointed time. That this is the appointed time for your life. This is the time in which God is saying, you have a view of reality. It's skewed, but I want to give you a reality check. That these guys who hung Jesus on the cross, that was you. You were one of them. Such were some of us. Such was I. Such was I. One who would ask for a murderer instead of Christ. Because I didn't like the reality of Christ. The reality of Christ meant that I wasn't good. That I wasn't right. That I wasn't... I didn't have it all together. I have to admit that, right? I have to look at the backdrop of the reality of my depravity in order to see the goodness of God's grace. And... I know the depths of my heart right now, and I can tell you this, that I am fully aware of my depravity. I am absolutely aware of it, and God makes me more aware of it every moment of every day. But he also makes me aware of another reality that goes on at exactly the same time. But he says, I'm for you. I am for you. You might be these things, you might be depraved, but I am for you. I am not against you, I'm for you. I am for you. And then I look at the gospel of Jesus and say, what a gem. What a perfect, loving gem that God would be gracious to me when I don't deserve it, giving me undeserved, unmerited, personal favor when in my heart of hearts I would curse him had it not been for him, had it not been for the power of God coming into my life. So if that is you today, do business with Jesus. If he is calling you right now and saying, this is your appointed time. Remember, I said this a few weeks ago, and I, I, I still mean that, is that making no decision for Christ is a decision. You have made a decision. And you don't have a guarantee that you're making it to your car. None of us do. None of us have that. None of us have that understanding that we're going to make it to the car. Well, let's pray that God would would stir us and reveal to us that truth. Lord God, we are so thankful for the reality of Jesus. I am thankful that you are really, really patient, that you are really kind, that you're really long-suffering. I pray today, Lord, that if there's one here that you are stirring their heart, that today is the day of salvation, that today you are calling, and today you are saying that this is the appointed time for you 
that refreshing from the presence of the Lord is for you right now. If, if one of us in here, including me, says, you know what, I'm just dried out. I just don't feel him. I don't sense him in my life. That if we ask for Christ right now, that the present reality of him will bring us refreshing. I pray that all of our souls be refreshed this morning by the reality of the presence of Christ, that Christ is here in this room, that he is alive, that he didn't stay dead. They put him on the cross and he was resurrected. And that resurrected life lives within this building today, that it lives right here. That is a present reality. So may that presence be refreshing to our souls and to our hearts. And may it, if it be brand new, that we get refreshing for the very first time, may we just be those who would repent and turn back, that our sins might be blotted out, that, that God might then come, and that God might send his Christ for us today. God, please send your Christ in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.